Well, good morning, King's Church. Please remain standing uh, in honor of God's word, uh, giving thanks to God for his word. At the conclusion of the reading, I will say, this is the word of the Lord. You were invited to respond saying, thanks be to God. Well, today's reading comes from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21. This is what it says. Hmm. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing over the head of his staff, hmm. bowing in worship over the head of his staff. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can grab a seat. Well, good morning, church. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Andrew, and I get the privilege of being a member here at the King's Church. And this morning, I get to embark on every preacher's dream, which is one verse. One verse. But I think we'll find, as we dive into this one verse, that it is deep, and it uh, actually summarizes someone's entire life, which in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, covers about 22 chapters. So we're going to be covering about 22 chapters in the next uh, 30 minutes to five hours. So I hope you have some coffee in your cup and got a little bit of extra sleep this morning. But before we dive in, I just want us to consider a couple things. When we come to the book of Hebrews in the 11th chapter, we see all these different figures, characters from the Old Testament. And sometimes I think we can read the Old Testament, maybe if you started a Bible reading plan at the beginning of the year, and you started making way, your way through Genesis, you're going to do it, one year, going to read the whole book, and you're asking yourself, what is the moral of this story? What is the moral of the story? And you're looking for some type of moral exemplar to like show you, oh, this is it, this is the moral. And I just want to remind us at the outset, the moral to the story is that morals do not put you in the story. Only the grace of God does that. The second thing, and I think we're trained by the Marvel Cinematic Universe for this, by Superman and such characters, we're looking for heroes. We're looking for heroes in the Old Testament, right? Like, oh, where's the hero? Is this the hero? Is that the hero? Now, for sure, we see people in the Old Testament doing heroic things. But I think the story is really trying to get us to see there is only one hero, and that hero is Jesus Christ. That hero is Jesus Christ. So while these people do heroic things, they are not the point. And they're actually intentionally written into the story to direct our attention somewhere else. Jesus said in Luke 24, she agrees. Jesus said in Luke 24, I am the point of all of those stories. And so look back, and as you're reading through, see me. See me. I am the hero. I am the hero of these stories. And this morning's no exception. We're going to be looking at Jacob. And Jacob is a fairly ratchet guy. He is a ratchet guy, as we'll see through his story. He's not a hero, and he's barely moral at all. Let's, let's look through like just four or five things that describe Jacob. He's the son of Isaac, the grandson of Abraham. And listen to this. Jacob is a heel grabber. That's not a good thing to call anybody. You're a heel grabber. Jacob selfishly cheats his brother out of a birthright. He manipulates his father to acquire a bootleg blessing. Ja Jacob is shallow. He's hollow. 
He's cowardly, vain, hedonistic, calculating, fearful. Jacob is restless. Jacob will never be satisfied, or at least it seems. So when the author of Hebrews steps into uh, just picking one story, he goes through the archive, the discography, if you will, of Jacob's life, and he says, ah, that's the story. We're going to pick Jacob's deathbed. And I think it's for a few reasons. Uh, the deathbed reveals what we truly believe. When the rubber meets the road, when our mortality is right in front of us, is we are shown what we're really made of or what we're not made of. And only the things that the Lord puts there himself will stand in the face of death. And the author of Hebrews selects it also to show us that a solid, certain conviction of a better country is always evident in people who die well in the face of death. So here's our plan for the time. We've considered briefly that Jacob, not a good guy, not a good guy, and uh, now we're going to look at his deathbed, and we're going to say, okay, that guy seems faithful, and then we're going to come back and ask, how is that even possible? How is it possible? And so here's where we're headed this morning in our main idea. We can face death full of faith by resting in the grace of God. Let's pray. Father, be with us this morning. We need you to give us ears to hear, eyes to see the truths from your word. God, I just pray that in the next few moments that you would make your name great, that we would see you as ultimately faithful and see Christ as our beautiful Savior. God, grow our affections in the moments that follow. Give us new affections if they're not there and be with us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. So first, we're going to see in our text that by faith, Jacob was dying. Jacob was dying. And like we said, death does something. It, it really reveals to us what we actually believe, what we've put our hope in, what we've put our faith in. And Jacob is shown in uh, Genesis 47 to be a very old man, very old, older than anybody in the room. He's 130 years old, 130 when he comes to the land of Goshen. And then on his deathbed, he's actually 17 years after that, 147 years old. I don't know that I want to live to 147 years old, personally. But we see him, and he's approaching his death. In chapter 47, verse 29, we see that the time had drawn near that Israel, or Jacob, must die. It's appointed for every man to die. We know that our days are numbered. And the number of Jacob's days are running thin, and he knows it. He knows that he doesn't have much time to put his affairs in order. And so Hebrews 11 gives us a little bit of insight here. It says that by faith he's doing this. So what does that look like? What does it look like to die faithfully? I'm not, I'm not sure that there's a more important question. In light of this past year, you can't turn on the news, flip open your phone without seeing death. It is everywhere. And it seems to be just relentless, doesn't it? So as we consider this question, there might not be a more important question for us. And I think something deep inside of us has a problem with that because we do not want to die. We do not want to die. This is what Woody Allen says. I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. I think that is more honest than we care to admit. 
but we know it's coming. So I think deeper down, there's actually a desire to die well, to die faithfully. And so here we get a portrait of what it looks like to die in faith. And we'll see Jacob doing at least three things. I I think Jacob is cropping God into his past and into his present and then into his future. Have you ever seen a Facebook profile photo where someone was friends with somebody and is no longer friends with that somebody and so they crop them out of the photo, but you see their arm? Like, it's, it's, a, it's a, a photo of Ginny, but Ginny has cropped uh, Brad out of the photo. And so you see the, the, the picture of Ginny, but somebody's not in the photo. And sometimes life has a way of cropping God out of the photo. I mean, if you consider the news, just for a second, this is an aside, if you consider the news, the headline should be every day, our God reigns. But it's not. They've cropped God out of the image. He's no longer there. In every movie, it's so frustrating because you're like, what you guys need is the gospel. You need the gospel, but we've cropped God out of the situation. But we see in Jacob a man who is cropping God back in. Maybe there were moments in his life where he wasn't sure where God was, but now on his deathbed, he looks back from the hill over his life and he says, God was there. In Genesis 48, verse three, Jacob says to his son, he says, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz. And in the land of Canaan, he blessed me. Then he goes on in verse 15 and says, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. Jacob looks back over his life and sees the faithfulness of God. He sees God's faithfulness not only in his own life, but in the life of his father and his grandfather. And he's saying, God is good. God is good. Then Jacob, like all people of faith, refers to God as his shepherd, as his shepherd. And we immediately recognize Jacob is a shepherd, just like another shepherd, David. David would say in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. And then in verse six, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Jacob crops God into his past. Then he sees God present in his dying. He sees him present in his dying. Notice at the end of verse 15 of chapter 48 of Genesis, he says, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, to this day, God is present with us in our dying. And Jacob sees God as his present comfort. The God who was merciful and good is also the God who is presently in his dying merciful and good. Sometimes when those types of situations arise, we can be tempted to say, is God still good? It's not a bad question, but the answer is always yes. The answer is always yes. Then he goes on. And notice the context. Jacob has been in the land of Goshen. How did he get there? How did he get to the land of Goshen? That's a pretty long story. That'll take about 20 chapters. But summarize. Joseph, his son, became prime minister of Egypt. Then he called for his father to be given sheep and to become a shepherd in the land of Goshen. So he's been there about 17 years. And we see a couple things in his journey to Goshen that are interesting. It says in chapter 47, verse 27, that when he came to the land of Goshen, he gained possessions in it, and he was fruitful and multiplied greatly, which 
should sound really familiar because all the book of Genesis, we've been talking about how God said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply. Then he said to Abraham, be fruitful, multiply. Then he said to Isaac, be fruitful, multiply. You know, you're getting rid of them here. And then he made promises to them that he, they would be fruitful, multiplied. He would give them a land. He would be their God. They would be his people over and over and over. But Jacob recognizes from his deathbed in the present moment that this is not where they were meant to be, that Egypt isn't the promised land. And Jacob isn't trying to make Egypt their promised land. So part of dying by faith is recognizing that this world isn't heaven. The more we try to build this world into our own personal heaven, the more difficult death will be. The more we store up treasure on earth, the harder and more turbulent death will be. Friends, this is not our promised land. This is not our promised land. This is not heaven. And the more we stop trying to make it so, the more we can actually enjoy it. The more we can actually enjoy it. We can be free to actually enjoy where we are with the people we are, not trying to accumulate more for here. And not placing the burden of heaven on the shoulders of this earth because it cannot bear it. It cannot bear it. And in the present, Jacob has cropped God into his present knowing that this is not where he's supposed to be, so now we see him cropping God into his future. Look at the second part of uh, Genesis 47, 29 and 30. Jacob says again to his son, do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. Jacob sees that God's promises are not here, they are there. And even though I will not see them, promise me you will take me there. Promise me you will take me there. The future orientation of Jacob's faith is also seen in how he blesses his sons, which was our second point here, that by faith, Jacob blesses his sons. Now, we have to recognize right on the outset that when I say blessing, many of you think of very specific things. And in a lot of ways, the culture and the world has hijacked this word to mean a lot of things that it does not mean. So when I say the word, maybe you think of something present or something past, or something future, maybe something relational, maybe something material. And the word carries a lot of cultural weight and significance, does, doesn't it? We hear, even on the radio, hashtag blessed, right? And we throw it around, kind of tongue-in-cheek, you know? New shoes, blessed. New house, blessed. I just got married, blessed. Single origin coffee, Blessed. Negative COVID test, blessed. Found the car keys, honey. I'm blessed, wow. And blessing is reduced to the good things God brings into our life. And if we operate like that, life's gonna be hard because we will struggle to see that God has been the shepherd all the days of my life, won't we? If only the good things in our lives are blessings. But I think it's too small of a view what we see in Jacob's blessing of Joseph's sons is very different than this. Jacob, from his deathbed in Goshen, gets word to Joseph and says, hey, come on down to the land of Goshen. It's a pasture. Watch your step. I'm going to bless you. And this is ridiculous for several, for several reasons, at least on the surface. The first is Jacob's low position. Consider this. Jacob is a shepherd. He works with livestock. And he's been wandering nomad all of his life. He is even ethnically other than the Egyptians. In fact, historians suggest that Egyptians look down 
at shepherds, anyone who cared for livestock. And uh, Joseph, when he gave them the land, right, says to Pharaoh, hey, they'll just look after your sheep. Let them in. Oh, great. They can take care of the sheep. That's awesome. Let them do it. And so he gives them the land. To make matters worse, Jacob is monotheistic. He believes in one God. The Egyptians are polytheistic. They believe in a plurality of gods. Jacob and his family are completely other, completely beneath the Egyptians culturally. And now Jacob calls the prime minister of Egypt and says, bring your son so I can bless them. See how upside down that feels? It seems so upside down. Now let's consider Joseph's high position. Now imagine Joseph, the prime minister of Egypt. His boys are royalty. These two sons are being raised with a silver spoon, with privilege, dignified, set apart. They're being educated at the highest level and groomed for success and position. And now we see Jacob's blessing of the sons is not a material endowment. It wasn't something they could touch or even see. It wasn't even the transfer of a trust. Instead, it was, an, it was introducing them to the God who had the resources to bless them. The blessing was in the hands of God, and Jacob knew that. So by faith, he blesses the boys. Let's look at that. By faith, he blesses the boys. This is what he says in chapter 48, verse 5. He says, And now your two sons who were born to you in Egypt before I came, in, before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. Again, Jacob's lost his mind. What he's saying right here is, I'm going to adopt your kids. I'm going to adopt them. And they're going to be just like Reuben and Simeon, who are nobodies. The sons of the prime minister of Egypt, and they're going to be like these nobodies. I'm going to adopt them. He must have lost his mind. The next thing he goes on to do is uh, we're told that he blesses them and that his eyes are bad. He needs to go to the optician, get those eyes checked out. In verse 10 of 48, he says, Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, and he could not see. Thank God for glasses. This sounds real familiar, doesn't it? And he goes on, and Joseph took them both. I'm going to summarize this. Joseph walks in with the sons, and he takes his firstborn, puts him in his left, which would be Jacob's right, because the right hand was the hand of blessing, puts it out, and he's like, this is my boy, that's the one, and then he takes his other son, and he holds him kind of over here, you know, this is the son, the firstborn, and Jacob comes up, you know, I imagine his hand shaking, and he just does one of these numbers, and he blesses the secondborn, blesses the secondborn. But I think when he mentions the fact in Genesis that his eyes were dim, we should immediately be thinking of last week. Pastor Ian taught all about how Jacob deceived his father, whose eyes were dim. It connects immediately. And we know that although Isaac was deceived, by faith, Jacob was not deceived. He blessed the firstborn. He blessed the secondborn, excuse me. Joseph puts the firstborn in place, and Jacob blesses by reversing his hands. The detail is unmistakable. It's saying, no, no, no. This is the one God chooses. Not the one that's in the right position, but the one that God would will. Charles Spurgeon is helpful. I love what he says. He says, faith prefers grace to talent. 
piety to cleverness. She lays her right hand where God lays it and not where beauty or beauty of person or quickness of intellect would suggest. Our best child is that which God calls best. Faith corrects reason and accepts the divine verdict. Faith corrects reason and accepts the divine verdict. And Jacob here recognizes the ways of God and acts accordingly. He is no longer trying to do his best on paper for him. That Jacob we looked at at the beginning would have done everything he could. He would have recognized Joseph's position. How can I manipulate and get into the favor of that? No, no, no. Now we see Jacob is just trying to do what pleases God. He is trying to do what pleases God. And then the next thing we see is that he's not drawing from his own ability. The first half of his life, he's trying to draw from his own cleverness, his own ability, his own riches, his own resources. But now we see something very different. So maybe you're here this morning and you've got a lot. And maybe you're here and you have nothing. But no, regardless of your status, that if you are in Christ, you are blessed. You are blessed. Our classes have been going through the book of Ephesians, and in Ephesians 1, 3, this is what it says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, was blessed, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Where? In heavenly places. In heavenly places. We may, friends, we may always in this life be trying to make a dollar out of 50 cents. We may always be trying to do that. That may always be a struggle. But in Christ, you are blessed with a blessing that no moth can destroy and no stock market can determine. Jacob draws on the riches of God to bless the children and he points them to the promise knowing only God can see it through. Then the third thing we see, by faith, Jacob worships. He bows in worship. In the moments leading up to his death, he was worshiping. He was worshiping. We see what Jacob values the most in this moment. And what he valued the most was God. First, we see that Jacob is grateful to God. We see gratitude overwhelming as the overwhelming flavor of these moments in chapter 48 of Genesis. The second, we see that he's dependent on God. He is surrendered. And then Jacob testifies to the goodness of God, that God is faithful then we see his posture towards God. He sees Joseph walk in with the sons, and you know what he does? Falls down on the ground. Just, cry, just so grateful to even see his son again. And then to see his grandsons, he never thought he would. And here he is, falling face down, thanking God for seeing the sons. The fourth thing we see is his posture, his posture towards God. And it's just the overflow of his thankfulness and his dependence and his testimony it's just the overflow. He sees, perhaps on top of a hill, looking back over his life, just the goodness of God. And he's overwhelmed and giving praise and honor to God. But all of this should leave us asking some questions. His dying, his blessing, his worshiping should raise this question, one question. How? How is he this guy? How is he finishing well? How does the heel-grabbing, selfish, Lying, manipulating, hollow, cowardly, shallow, vain, hedonistic, calculating man, Jacob, die, bless, worship by faith. And the answer is in Ephesians 2, 8. By grace, through faith. 
the same way that you and I have any hope of having faith in the face of death is by grace alone through faith. And the key to understanding this is in the last phrase of our text in Hebrews. It says, By faith Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his sons, each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Stick with me, family. Over the head of his staff. Something had happened. Something had happened. Something was different. And young Jacob had spent the early part of his life wrestling with different things. He was always chasing, always scrambling, trying to make this world into his own personal heaven. And in doing so, he created hell for everyone else, for his family, for his brother, uncle, wives, children. He did whatever it took to get ahead and get what he wanted, even if it meant heel grabbing and lying. He was an old-fashioned con man. And the detail of the staff is intriguing for at least at least two reasons. One, the staff highlights that Jacob saw himself even in his final moments as a sojourner and an exile. And this theme runs all the way through the scriptures that this is not our home. We are sojourners. He leans on his staff as a tool of his trade, the symbol of his wandering, and the emblem of his sojourning. Secondly, and most significantly, bowing over his staff reveals his physical brokenness his physical brokenness. He couldn't even stand on his own. And he could not stand on his own anymore because he encountered the grace of God. The staff is so much a part of Jacob's story because it recalls the night that he wrestled with God and was shown grace. So what changed? Jacob encountered grace. Turn to Genesis 32. We're gonna read a good chunk. So if you have your iPhone, your Bible, whatever you got, Flip it open. Jacob encountered grace. On the night before he's about to meet his brother, his brother Esau. Last time he saw Esau, previously on Jacob's life, last time he saw Esau, Esau said, I'm gonna kill you. And now it's been years have passed and he's about to go see Esau and he is afraid. He is afraid of what Esau might do. And the night in between his fear and his confrontation, we see this story. In verse 24, we'll pick up Genesis 32, and Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let go until you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it you ask me my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Have any of you ever wrestled with a child like I wrestle, I have a four-year-old son, we wrestle, that's all he wants to do, wrestle, 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 all the time. And I can't wrestle him with my full strength. I mean, I'm not that strong, but I'm stronger than my four-year-old still. (laughs) That won't always be the case. But you hold back, you hold back, and that's exactly what's happening here. They're wrestling till dawn, and they seem to be evenly matched after hours of strain and struggle. 
and we're told, we're told that the man touches Jacob's hip. Just a touch. And in that moment, his hip is immediately out of joint. Jacob recognizes, I am no match for this person. I'm no match. And he demands to know, who are you? Who am I wrestling with? See, up until this point in Jacob's life, he's been wrestling with his father, with his brother, with his uncle, with his wives, even with his children. But now he's met his true match. Jacob could only handle a touch and survive. God's grace visited Jacob because that same Jacob deserved to be obliterated. The guy deserved death. But God's grace visited him and he recognized in that moment that the birthright, the blessing, the love, approval, fear that he'd always been searching for and had always eluded him was right there in front of him in his grasp. And he knew, this might kill me, but I will hold on until you bless me. Until you bless me. He had spent his whole life running from them. These people and the, and the pain and the discomfort and the fear of all of those things, of the person he was about to face, melted away. He'd been searching for something to satisfy him. But the birthright was hollow. The blessing from his father was empty. The man he worked for was actually a con man who conned him. That's an interesting story. He thought the greatest problem in his life was people, was situations, it was a pandemic. But the greatest problem in his life is that he had wrongly thought he was wrestling with people when he had been wrestling with God. And all that culminates in this moment. Jacob deserved to be destroyed. Instead, he has shown grace. And he's given a limp. And God gives him a new name. And says, you will no longer be called heel grabber and liar. Instead, you will be called Israel. See, God held back. God held back with Jacob because he would not hold back with Jesus. Jacob was only touched because Jesus would be crushed. He held nothing back from Jesus. Jesus would bear the full weight of God's judgment. In Romans 8:32, this is what it says, "He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He did not spare he poured out. It wasn't a simple touch. It was the full weight of divine judgment. Jacob deserved death, but instead got a blessing. Jesus deserved a blessing and instead was given death. Isaiah 53 says that he was crushed for our iniquities. Maybe you've made a deal with God. Maybe you've been seeking a material, relational, physical blessing from God. And in desiring these things, you've made these good things, God things, ultimate things. Put down religion. Seek God. Seek God. He is the blessing in himself. Let him do the work only he can do and give you the blessing that you do not deserve. Maybe your name is not Jacob. But as I was studying this story and reading this story, a lot of different cultural weird stuff's going on. But I am Jacob. I am so much like Jacob. Maybe you've been wrestling. Maybe you've been running. Or maybe you're here and you're limping. Either emotionally, relationally, physically. Maybe you're limping. All who are in Christ have limps. But we will never be crushed. 
because we've been shown grace. Christ was crushed in our place so that although we experience hardship in this life, life is hard. We will not be put to shame in the life to come. Our blessing is secure. By faith, Jacob died, believing the God of grace was always with him. By faith, Jacob blessed the sons of Joseph, even though he had no position or status. Instead, he relied fully on the Lord to bring about the promise. And by faith, he worshiped, leaning on his staff, which was a constant reminder of God's grace to him. Jacob died by faith because he, had, he who began a good work was faithful to see it through. It wasn't Jacob. God was faithful. So family, this morning, lay down the blessing you seek for the blessing he gives. And if you have received this blessing, oh, share it with others until our faith is made sight All of our hopes are realized and all that's left is love and adoration. We'll just stand in awe of this God who showed us so much grace. Let's pray. Father, you are so good and holy and worthy. You are life. In you is everlasting life, Father. We cannot find it anywhere else. Open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to seek you as our ultimate treasure. You tell us to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and all other things will be added unto us. God, we're so grateful for your word. Be with us now. Convict us of the areas where we fall short. And help us see our limps as constant reminders of our need for the cross. May we be grateful for the ways that you reveal yourself to us in these things, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.